Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is Strictly Confidential. Jackson. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Got to go to Yellowstone last weekend and that was absolutely bonkers. I don't have anything funny to say about it. Just congratulations, really, is all I have to say about it. I don't have anything funny to say about it. I just essentially wanted to brag on this platform. I want you to, with your words, paint a picture. Picture? <laughs> I want you, with your words, to paint a picture of the Purple Mountains majesty that you witnessed. And I want to be there. Okay, so picture you're driving. And you're, you're driving mm. a, like, 2003 Toyota 4Runner, and you're, uh, you're driving over this bridge. And this bridge is uh, concrete, so it wouldn't make noise like that. But there are a ton of, uh, kind of like, there are these creeks going along this, this bridge in this area. And you look to the left, and about a Ooh. half mile over, right in front of the sunset, is just one bison standing there. <clears throat> that sounds like the perfect moment. And it's just, it was a ton of stuff like that. Like every single time we pulled off the main road, it was something new that was crazier than the last thing. Like I thought Yellowstone was pretty much just Old Faithful, the big uh, giant water fountain thing. (laughs) Yes. And it turned out to be just incredible. Like Old Faithful might've been the least impressive thing there. Dang. Like we saw saw something called the prismatic, ah, shoot, now I can't think, is... The first word is prismatic, but it was basically this giant hole in the ground, like probably two football fields wide. Whoa. And filled with bright blue fluorescent water and cool coloring on the outside. How do they keep people from jumping in? Uh, it's boiling hot. Oh, wow. Uh, they said that out of a couple smaller ones, they said that people had died because of how hot it was. You stumbled into a real life Hollow Knight level. Yeah. That's a sick reference for the gamers out there. Do you, do you have anything interesting and funny to tell from your last week in uh, this big planet? Well, it's just been a rough week. I've been able to stay stress-free at the hectic office, though, because I've had the soothing sounds of classical music. My particular favorite being Mozart. It keeps me calm and productive. But uh, this train, it don't run on that. We run on paranoia and confusion. So good thing he was murdered and the killer was never found. I want to talk to you about Mozart and his suspicious death. All right, well, I'm all aboard. Let's get those Wikipedia basics. Born in 1756, died in 1791, so the mid to late 1700s. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, classical era composer. He died under mysterious circumstances at the tragically young age of 35, which I'm surprised I didn't know. The reason his death is in question is that he had no previous history of illness, and he suddenly fell to a dramatic, swift death from an unknown illness, either natural or unnatural. So the easy thing to jump to is poisoning. So I have a question. Yes. Is this Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in any way related to Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix? No. I'm talking about the Mozart who composed more than 600 works as he's been acknowledged as the pinnacle of symphonic concertante. (laughs) I can't even do the Wikipedia. 
Can you, real fast while you're doing that, can you do something for me on this Wikipedia page? Yes. Can you do control F, which finds a phrase or a word, and then search the Gucci main of his time? 13 results. Wow. I just, I mean, that's all I've heard of him as. I've, in discussion and in philosophy classes and stuff, I've heard him referred to as the Gucci main of his time because of how much music he produced. Well, even though he produced hours and hours and hours of music, he could have produced much, much more if his life had not been cut short. But let's learn a little bit more about the man from an expert before we kill him off. So we got Hayden Cooey on the mic. Why don't you start by telling us who you are, Hayden? So what's up, guys? I am. Uh, my name is Hayden Cooey. Um, I am a doctoral student um, in the Piano Pedagogy and Performance Program at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, pedagogy is a big, weird word, but basically it just means I study um, the art and the science behind piano teaching and music education and its relationship to uh, piano specifically. So yeah, that's what I do. Great. And that means for this episode, Hayden is the resident expert. No pressure. We're hoping that you can use some of your expertise to uh, put Mozart in context for the listener. Earlier in the episode, we uh, we went through the Wikipedia basics, talked about when he was born and all the essentials. But I want to get into why we should care. Other than the fact that Mozart is a famous composer, there's not too much that the common man really understands about him. You kind of just naturally lump him into Bach and like literally any other composer that you play for your your child when you have your your pregnant wife and you put the headphones on her belly. And <laughs> like they all kind of just get lumped together for most people. So first question, what is Mozart known for today? But probably the better interviewer question is, what is his legacy on the world of music? Yeah, um, well, that's a big question. So yeah, Mozart, definitely one of your like street composers in that when you I just ask somebody on the street, like name me a classical composer, like Mozart's probably going to come up. And, and reasonably so. I mean, Mozart's one of, one of our giants in, in music composition. He's one of the most notable composers in history. And as far as, uh, for me personally as a pianist, his, uh, his piano music, is uh, one of like the staples of our canon. So, I mean, if you go to a piano recital, I mean, people are probably going to be programming and playing Mozart's music. And then as far as like the music industry and music world as a whole, his biggest contribution probably was his work as an opera composer. The Mozart operas are, I mean, they're still performed um, all over the world and reset all over the world today. But then I mean, he's a, wrote a ton of famous symphonies, um, a ton of famous uh, other large scale works that um, just regularly appear in concert halls and in recital halls just around the world and have been for centuries since his death. What would you say separated Mozart from his peers during his time? Obviously, you could just say his brilliance, but sure. it's easy to assume that, you know, every you, you, you imagine every classical composer as the same like I said, his, his most famous contribution and, and by far what made him the most famous and when he was alive were, were his operas. And because the opera was during the late 18th century, I mean, opera was a huge deal. I mean, that's what you, I mean, that's what people were spending their money on. And so his operas were, were really, really famous, probably more so than a lot of the other operas being written at the time. And so that's probably what really made him most famous. And then he got a lot of attention early on as a child prodigy. So when you uh, when you look at the Mozart family, you know, his father, Leopold, was or still is studied today as one of the premier violin pedagogues, uh, violin teachers of the, the 18th century. And from an early age, uh, 
guess we could say Mozart's talents were exploited by his father. It was a very not great relationship. But from the age of six on, his father kind of paraded Mozart and his sister around Europe performing these like concerts and doing all these things to get all this attention. So he was very famous from a young age and then went on to produce really genius and amazing works. So you have a famous child prodigy who grows up to become a really well-known composer. I mean, it just says fame. It just, he kind of has fame written all over his, his life. Yeah, so my less educated brain immediately wants to jump to the comparison to Michael Jackson or other musical prodigies that were born into fame. So it's probably not too much of an exaggeration to say that he was a mega celebrity in his time. I mean, yeah, I don't think that would be, be a stretch at all. Was it uncommon for musicians to reach this level of celebrity during this period of time? The, this is the uh, late 1700s. Were other musicians, did they reach this level of rock star fame? We see historically famous musicians as far back as, oh, forever. I mean, even back in the 1600s and 1500s, we see records of famous performers at every instrument. I think one of the things that sets Mozart apart, though, is, and here's my piano nerd showing, is um, development of what we understand as a modern piano occurred at the very beginning of the 1700s. And so Mozart is considered by many scholars to be the first piano superstar. So his skills at the instrument of the piano, his ability to improvise, make stuff up on the spot, compose on the spot, play whatever, that was one of his big draws from an early age. Um, and his ability to perform you know, at the piano or the keyboard continued throughout his entire career. I mean, he, he really was also you know, a popular performer. That piano was his main instrument, and then violin a close second. So um, to answer your question, no, he's not the first most famous musician, I guess you could say, but he was definitely well regarded in his own unique way. So how could someone with a less trained musical ear recognize Mozart's work when they hear it? Like what's what's his distinct sound or style that non-musicians could pick up on? So if you think about it's a quick music history lesson for um, everybody listening. Classical music spans really as far back as like the, the Middle Ages and then into the present world. So that's a lot of time. So we kind of break down these different eras of music. And so from about 1725-ish to about 1810-ish is what we call, and don't let this confuse you, the classical era of music, capital C. Um, and so Mozart was kind of one of the pinnacles of this um, style of music. Um, and so that's really characterized. They, they looked back at the Greeks and how their architecture and their way of thinking was so symmetrical and so balanced. And the big thing is that there's beauty and simplicity. And I think if I had to summarize kind of Mozart's style, it's that it's beautifully simple while being complex in its own right. So then you could draw comparisons to pop music in that you have these hooks that are completely memorable, get stuck in your head. So late 1700s, Mozart is popular. He's playing all over the world. Everybody loves him. No one wants to harm him, except someone may very much want to harm him because there are mysterious circumstances surrounding his unfortunately early death at the age of 35 in 1791. And 35 is not old age for this time. And this is something that's commonly misunderstood about life expectancy in just throughout human history is that you look back and it's like life expectancy was 30 years. But that was not that doesn't mean that in the 1500s living to 40 meant you died of old age. Life expectancy factors in child mortality and the increase in life expectancy has gone up as child mortality has gone down. 
But Socrates died in his 70s, and he was not considered to have died of old age. He died of poisoning. So this is still, even in 1791, being cut down in his prime at the age of 35. What quickly arose was the belief of foul play, because no one is quite sure what befell Mozart. So the most common conspiracy, as we've talked about earlier in the show, is that he was intentionally poisoned and laid in a common grave. This is seen as a tragic and unfitting death for one of the most notable composers of all time. So then who would have even wanted to kill Mozart? Did he have any enemies? Um, well, you can imagine that someone as successful as Mozart probably just made enemies probably accident, accidentally. I mean, when we look at Mozart's character, it... it <laughs> What a guy, really. Mozart, by the way, if, if any of you uh, have seen the movie uh, Amadeus, it's, it's quite an interesting caricature of who Mozart was. Uh, Mozart was very, very educated. He was very well educated. He was a very smart guy. And the thing with that was he knew he was smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem and, when they know it. Right, right. And uh, so and he was not afraid to uh, to show it. So, I mean, we see um, musicologists have studied Mozart's letters, you know, just his collection of letters that he wrote to different people. And he'll commonly like just write a letter in Latin because why not? Literally, he would do it just to show people that he could or write in different lang- like write a letter in three different languages just to show people, hey, look how smart I am. He was just flexing. Yeah. What a, what a prick. He was kind of an asshole canonically. And then another thing um, that uh, Mozart was a little bit of, uh, uh, how to put this lightly, maybe a little bit of a playboy. So he talks, uh, he talks about um, in his letters, uh, how, how to put this, little escapades. <laughs> Very diplomatic of you. <laughs> you know, I mean, whenever you're fooling around with a lot of different people, you're probably going to make somebody mad. Uh, along the way. So, you know, you think about this kind of, I, I just think of like Mozart as an unusually intelligent frat boy. Okay. You're just describing a rock star, but yes. <laughs> With that as kind of the backdrop, probably one of uh, Mozart's most famous enemies is Antonio Salieri, who was uh, about 15 years older than Mozart. And Salieri was a very, very important composer and teacher of that time. Um, in fact, Salieri actually uh, at one point in his life worked with or actually taught Beethoven at, at some point. So he was a, was a very important teacher wow. and composer. But uh, we have reason to believe that uh, Salieri was a little bit jealous of Mozart's success. Sure. And being, you know, being 15 years older, you know, here, I, here he is this, you know, really well-established composer and teacher and, and keyboardist. And uh, here comes this, you know, arrogant little turd who's, you know, just kind of <laughs> taking over the music industry. You know, that's kind of the recipe for some pretty serious hatred there. I'm on Instagram and I see a 15 year old kid who draws better than me. And that makes me sick to my stomach. And it doesn't even mean anything like I haven't sp- I didn't teach Beethoven. Like, who am I? And it still makes me upset to see someone younger than me. And I feel like they don't deserve the abilities they have because they haven't put in the time. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's a real um, it's a real thing. And it's very popular among like scholarship that, you know, Antonio Salieri was was jealous. And, and there's there's records that, that kind of support that. It's jealousy um, fueled by a sort of twisted sense of injustice. Yeah. Because really, he deserved the fame. Right. Or at least he believed right. he did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Mozart 
early. I mean, he's got his start in Salzburg with Vienna being the musical capital of the world, really, at that time, especially the German speaking world. And Mozart gets sick and tired of life in Salzburg for a number of reasons, including his boss in Salzburg. Um, they had a little bit of a falling out. So that could be another potential enemy. But then he, later in his life, Mozart moved to Vienna and started kind of taking over the music scene there. So, I mean, you kind of had this added, like, he's coming, Salieri's thinking, he's, this guy's coming into my territory and kind of taking over the music scene, I guess. Yeah, wherever he went, he was blowing it up. He, yeah. he was famous and well-loved no matter where he went. Right. He wouldn't stay in his own lane. Nope. <laughs> so one of the reasons that it's it, it may be difficult to jump to poisoning is something we've already touched on, is that it's not too clear immediately what a killer could have to gain. Mm-hmm. What would be the motive? And I think that's why you jump to other composers, because that's at least a motive you can understand, is this right. sense of competition and eliminating the competition. But is there a sure. chance that this could be a linen situation and there's just a crazed fan? I mean, it's possible. My my biggest thing is that, and we see this historically, and it makes perfectly good sense. As a composer ages and composes, they're only going to get better. So many of the composer's most famous works, I mean, Beethoven's a great example, come at the end of their life, whenever their compositional style has reached its full maturity. But the biggest thing, you know, if Mozart's dead, he can't write any more works and he can't take any more commissions. And that's the big thing. Is, you know, there are these wealthy people, be it the Viennese court, be it the um, these, you know, wealthy aristocrats who are paying these composers to write these works. But, you know, if Mozart's dead, he can't take any more of these commissions. And that leaves more of them for other notable composers to take, like, I don't know, maybe Salieri. He's monopolized the market. Sure. Patronage of the arts had a much more singular source during this time. And an important distinction to make is classical music was popular back then in a way that I think is a little bit dissimilar to today, because you have to understand they didn't have radios, they didn't have Spotify, they didn't have they didn't have access to music like we do today. So if you wanted to hear music played, you had to pay to go to a concert or you had to pay, you know, or hope there was somebody playing uh, just like secular music down at the pub or whatever. And and then also with the further uh, the kind of the socioeconomic gap, you think about there are not very many people at that time who had the money to make these commissions. I mean, your average Joe on the street, you know, the Smith down the street or the butcher down the street probably can't afford to commission a piano sonata from from Mozart or Salieri. It was probably only these wealthy aristocrats. I mean, if you're an up and coming, coming composer and you want to move in, there's physically not enough space for everyone. So someone else has to go out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So he's traveling around. He's on top of the world. He's a genius and he knows it. He's a rock star wherever he goes. He thinks he's invincible. And that's the perfect time for his killer to strike. I mean, Socrates died because he was a prick. Um, okay. I mean, I... That's what that's what his contemporaries thought. We view him a little bit more positively now. I... Right. But I mean, like among his peers and stuff, he was not a nice guy. Sure. He didn't really care about what other people thought. And I've read enough of his works to know that he's really not like he's not conscious of his surroundings as much as he is conscious of society as a whole. I mean, you're not going to try out any new fashions around Socrates because he is going to dunk on you. He's not going to be cool about it. He's going to question everything about it without a doubt. And so I when I was at Baylor, I went I went through the Baylor Interdisciplinary Corps. And so we had to read most of Socrates works. And from my understanding, he was a very smart guy, but to his peers, he was very much not the guy you wanted to be around. I think that Mozart was probably that. 
But I imagine back at that point, because today I could get on Spotify every day for the next six years, probably, probably way more than that. And every day listen to a different artist and not have listened to the same artist twice. Right. More like than that. I don't think you'd ever reach the end of it. I don't think I would ever reach the end of it, especially because more artists are popping up every day and we have an immediate access to it. But with Mozart, it wasn't the same. They didn't have Spotify. They didn't have computers. They didn't have as good of toilets. So they couldn't just, that one's not as relevant, but they couldn't just <laughs> out of nowhere hear Mozart or anybody else. They would hear Mozart because other people would be performing Mozart's pieces and he would be constantly performing and people would think, we don't get to hear music very often because people haven't invented headphones yet. Right. I've got to go to the the Mozart show today. Right. There was definitely no dissociation from the music and the artist. They were very much one and the same. Because I can listen to the Shins and not even know a single member of the band. But if you're listening to Mozart, you're, you've probably met him earlier that day. So are you convinced yet? Do you think he was poisoned? Because we actually have even more that suggests he was. Yeah, I'm on board. I think he was poisoned. Let's Okay. Well, then this is for everyone else who's not quite so ready to jump on board. There's, um, so Mozart's wife, Constanza, what a name, right? Wrote, uh, published a biography of the composer's life a few years after his death. And in the biography, she, she kind of recounts this, this moment that they had toward the end of his life. He's ill, Mozart's becoming ill, and they take a carriage ride to this park. They're sitting on a bench, and Mozart looks at uh, Constanza and says, I just can't, for the life of me, figure out why I all of a sudden feel so bad. It's almost like someone is trying to take me down or, or to poison me. Wow. So um, that's, that's recorded. So Mozart himself didn't even know why he was starting to feel so bad. He could not pinpoint why he had suddenly become ill. So that's why poison is considered to be the murder weapon is that Mozart himself suggested the idea. And we have it from the best source we can possibly request, his wife, his wife. In, the, in his final days. Yeah. And then there's also um, the anonymous commission of a funeral requiem concurrent with his illness. But the funeral requiem that he's writing, doesn't that suggest that he knows that death is imminent? Did he intentionally write this for himself? Was he just in a really bleak mood and he wanted to write something that fit that as a form of expression? Toward the uh, end of uh, 1791, there was this uh, anonymous person, Mozart does not know this person, approaches him and asks to pay for him to write a funeral mass, a funeral requiem. So, you know, Mozart's, you know, trying to make money because he's, you know, a working composer. So he takes, he, he takes the commission. And so he starts writing the requiem for this unknown person. He has no idea who it is. And that's whenever he becomes ill and dies. No way. That's and his killer. So it's I, the calling card. And so I just find that just just unbelievable. So this man's writing funeral music and he gets sick and dies. It just just the it's like the irony of that is just too much for me. <laughs> a early death musician on the slightly positive side does cement them as a legend because it, it leaves you wondering how much more they could have created. For sure. And, and that's exactly what's happened with with Mozart. And to say I'll say his music deserves the attention it gets. But the mystery that surrounds his death has been the subject of a ton of scholarship by some really, really well-regarded scholars of Mozart. Um, and they're stepping in to ruin all the fun. So tell oh, us yes. what these scholars say that prove that this whole poison stuff is all bullshit. So 
you have to understand that at, at this time, there were a lot of sick people, especially in Europe. And, and kind of my, my research behind this, I came across an article in the New York Times and the health section of the New York Times published in 2009. And they kind of recount the most recent scholarship on uh, Mozart's death. And according to this article, a, an article published in the uh, Annals of Internal Medicine uh, did an analysis of kind of the, the health scene at the time of Mozart's death, like what was going on. And there's strong medical research to suggest that it was strep, strep bacteria. Um, that infected his blood. and But there's a whole list of just really awful things that happen to you whenever you contract strep in the way that Mozart may have. And then that combined with the um, kind of the practices of the time, the bloodletting that was probably done to try to cure him and just the different things they did to try to fix him would not have worked on that particular um, um, illness. But there's also, I mean, tuberculosis was really uh, a, a very popular illness to contract at the time. <laughs> popular um, is a strange selection of word there. Yeah. I don't think TB, because of the sudden nature of the illness, I don't think TB has been supported by a lot of scholarship. Um, the, yeah. So like I said, the most recent research says that it was strep. Although you may have already touched on it, we don't have access to Mozart's body to do any kind of autopsy or any kind of study on the body to figure out why he died. The reason behind that is actually... Um, yeah, he, he was not uh, necessarily buried in a pauper's grave or a mass grave, but the burial tradition of the time, you only really received a marked grave if you were uh, basically royalty. Because being put into a grave where you're laid permanently to rest is a luxury that you really only get in areas where there's a lot more space to go around. In the United sure. States, we got plenty of dirt fields that we don't, we're not doing anything with, so we can leave people there indefinitely. At this time, though, the, the common grave, while it's not a mass grave, it's still considered a respectful Christian burial. That sure. still meant that 10 years later, they would dig their body back up because they just didn't have a lot of space. There wasn't, there wasn't anywhere to put these bodies in a place because they had to be outside of the city for sanitation reasons and that cuts down on the available space even more and to have a tomb that marked your your resting place forever you had to be the upper echelon of society so yeah i mean so we don't have access to his body so no one really and scholars have acknowledged that we can't know for absolute certain that he was not poisoned oh um, that means he was poisoned but because we don't have access to his body we can't study um i mean he could have been abducted by aliens as they were leaving <laughs> out of the city and well, we, we don't know start this episode over from the top mozart <laughs> was abducted by aliens let's dig in so i mean today every time that someone comes back home from comic-con they have a brand new form of the flu because you have all these elbows rubbing together and nowadays we have germex Back in the time of Mozart, it's probably not too much of a leap to assume that the fact that he was such a world traveler, traveler may have contributed to the fact that he had a mysterious illness because he's going around shaking hands, rubbing elbows with people from all different countries. And this is situ oh, yeah. I mean, this is an era where you can have very localized illnesses and very localized immunities to those illnesses. So going from Absolutely. place to place to place you're definitely more likely to contract a unknown mysterious disease. None of the medical practice of the, of the day didn't help us out very much because Mozart's death certificate, they say acute military fever as his cause of death. Which military actually, fever. Who knows what that is? But that's not really an illness. That's a symptom. Sure. So, it's like dying um, of a cough, a whooping right. cough. It's like, well, there was something much worse going on inside of him if he died right. of a cough. You know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help us out very much. 
Uh, I don't think the family really knew what was going on either. So they weren't able to offer any support in the biographies or any of the documents that came out after his death. So we really don't know. So what do you believe personally? Well, I, I, I don't think he was poisoned. I don't. Ooh, because next guest. I know, I know, right? It's an interesting theory. Uh, but I think what's more fascinating than the theory is how it developed. Like I said, we, scholars don't really know for sure. But we do know that after we've kind of studied history and studied uh, documents, that Salieri's kind of beef with Mozart was not as big as history has made it out to be. Oh, but it was juicy. And that's why it was it was puffed up so much, right? It's definitely for a sure. great tabloid story. Absolutely. And so actually, I mean, the, the two, comp- there was some competition, but it was never, it never escalated to the point to where uh, Salieri was, you know, out to kill him. And this was further um, kind of perpetuated in that uh, six years after Salieri's death, the notable playwright Alexander Pushkin wrote a play called Mozart and Salieri. And the big moral push of this play was jealousy. So this kind of, uh, this play, which was, which was successful, kind of inflated the tension between Mozart and Salieri. And then at the end of the 1800s in 1898, Rimsky-Korsakov, a really notable uh, Russian composer who would have you know, read the works of Pushkin, turned the Mozart and Salieri play into an opera which again was a huge genre in the 19th century. This opera, this is fascinating. The opera was likely seen and studied by Peter Schaefer, who in 1979 wrote a play called Amadeus. Oh man, full circle. So Where's that full circle? That's more like straight line. Yeah. (laughs) We're connecting the dots here. So that's, uh, I think, where the the legend really... uh, People see the movie, which is which is very popular, which is based on the play, which is based on the opera, which is based on another play that was written in the middle of this whole uh, ordeal. So the film can be traced this way directly back to the event. That is interesting. Yeah. Very fascinating. Uh, so for the listeners that want to learn more about Mozart and they want to dive in to his life and there are way, way more shenanigans to get into, I'm sure. Oh, yes. What can they turn to outside of uh, Amadeus? Great f- film to check out. Uh, Are there any other resources that we can that we can look into that you could recommend for us? The best way to get to know Mozart is to listen to his music. Absolutely. Good answer. Um, yes. So I 10 out of 10 would recommend the Requiem Mass. It is probably one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. And you should listen to it while you're cooking dinner because it's great dinner cooking music. So. <laughs> you're going to be working wonders with that knife. Oh, yes. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. You have raised the brow from low to medium to high brow. So really appreciate <laughs> you bringing your knowledge. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, I always love talking about great music and great composers. There's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. The composers of classical music were people just like people are today. So I was just encourage people to just dig in and see the human aspect of their music just as much as we experience life today. First of all, was Hayden arrested at the end of that? <laughs> I think he knew too much. I don't know. I still kind of think there's a very, very, very good chance that he was right um, poisoned. I I don't think it was so. It wasn't so soundly debunked as he seems to make it out to be. I love that the the argument he gave of why people think it's poison and not other things was because his wife said that he was feeling suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> because. The reason that it couldn't be other things is that if, like, there was a knife in his chest or something, I think you would notice. His assailant is not going to stand around and load a musket for half a minute. It has, like, poison seems to be the way to do it. 
Yeah, well, at that point, I think for killing one person, it was the most efficient and probably best way to do it if you were avoiding detection. Well, especially if you never find the body, because that's exactly what happened. And something he brought up when he was debunking it further was that since he was laid in a common grave, which we didn't bring up just because of socioeconomic whatever, that means that later his the, his remains were dug up and then I assume burned or whatever else. So there was no trace of him to even analyze. That's crazy. And the official documents that we can turn to also don't help, as he said, because they just list sim- symptoms, didn't actually diagnose him with anything. Huh. It really just boils down to whether you can you believe he made a strong enough enemy that would go to the links to finally put him to an end. Oh, I 100% believe that. Well, that's the more interesting thing, so I'm going to believe that too. If there's nothing to directly refute the more interesting theory, that's what I'm going for. Absolutely. Well, I I mean, that interview was so good, I don't really have anything else. Do you feel educated? Because I do. I feel educated as hell. So, uh, yeah, do you want to tell them what we've got going on? Well, first and foremost, we got to thank Glimroll for our theme song, Threadbare, Off the Burden of Proof. Be sure to check out his music on Spotify, iTunes, and GlimrollMusic.com. Can you tell them where they can find us on social media? Yeah, we're on on Twitter as S Confident Show because Twitter does not allow enough characters in the title. We're on Instagram as Strictly Confidential Show. And then if you want to send us your recommendations uh, or if you want to interview us or that's probably not how it would work. We would interview you, but other stuff like that. You can shoot us an email at strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. You don't have to be getting a doctorate to be interviewed by us. You can just be an expert on Bigfoot, and you're welcome here. Yeah, I believe that's it. Yeah, that's actually all we got. So until next time, stay on your toes. I know that's not what we normally say, but I'm trying to make sure you stay on your toes. Joseph! Hey, we're not doing the Bigfoot thing. You can tell him to piss off. Thank you.